Hey everybody, welcome back to the Washington University Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast, February 2016. So this month's topic is one that is nothing entirely new. It's been out there quite a bit, especially in the social media and FOMED circles. There are several articles looking at it, but it's something that I still don't see generally in clinical practice. Uh, it's certainly something that we're not doing in our practice at Barnes-Jewish. So I wanted to go through the evidence and see what the evidence really said so that we can potentially change our practice and change the practice patterns of those out there listening. So this month, we looked at age-adjusted D-dimers in the diagnosis of pulmonary embolism. Now, what this problem really boils down to is that as you get older, the D-dimer test becomes less and less specific for PE. In other words, if you are over 80 and you have a D-dimer test that's positive, it's far more likely to be a false positive than if you are, say, under 50 years old. What an age-adjusted D-dimer would allow us to do is raise the threshold for a positive test as you get older, thereby increasing the specificity in these older patients. Now, unfortunately, specificity and sensitivity are linked. And as one goes up, the other goes down. There's simply no way to avoid that. So if we raise our threshold for cutoff, we might increase the specificity, but we will, without a doubt, decrease the sensitivity. The question is, by how much? We all know that false positive D-dimer results can be problematic. We increase the risk of doing further testing like CT scans, as well as the risk of finding incidental PEs, these subsegmental PEs that probably a lot of us have and don't even know about. So the downside of a false positive test is that we're going to be over-testing, exposing patients to unnecessary contrast, dye loads, and radiation, and we're going to be over-treating, starting people on anticoagulation for these incidental PEs. We have to weigh that against the risk of potentially missing a PE in a symptomatic patient. If we were talking about a disease like aortic dissection, which is pretty much universally fatal if left untreated, we would probably err on the side of giving up specificity for a high sensitivity so we don't miss the disease. But a PE is quite different, and if we exclude those large central saddle PEs, the mortality is probably not as high as we once thought. So, we might be willing to give up a little sensitivity in order to prevent overdiagnosis and overtreatment. Now, before we dive into the evidence, I think it's worth talking about the fact that there are multiple different D-dimer assays, and you do have to look at which particular assay your institution uses when you're looking at the results of these studies. Most institutions seem to use an assay that reports results in fibrinogen equivalent units, And the cutoff there is typically 500 nanograms per milliliter. There are, however, some assays that report the results in D-dimer units. And the cutoff there is typically 250 nanograms per milliliter. Now, using those cutoffs, it would be pretty easy to interchange the two. You simply double the D-dimer unit results and you get 500. So it would be easy to find an algorithm that you could use for both. Unfortunately, a lot of these assays actually have a cutoff of 230 nanograms per milliliter when reporting in D-dimer units. And that's actually what our institution uses. The reason for this is that's what the FDA recommends based on some of the initial studies. So if you've got a cutoff of 230 and all of these studies are looking at fibrinogen equivalent unit assays that report a cutoff of 500, how are you going to create an algorithm to calculate your age-adjusted D-dimer? I'm not sure. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but that's going to be one of the sticking points in this. 
So without further ado, let's talk about the evidence. The first study is one of the originals, and this was potential of an age-adjusted D-dimer cutoff value to improve the exclusion of pulmonary embolism in older patients, a retrospective analysis of three large cohorts. This was published in 2010 in BMJ. These authors first sought to derive a formula for an age-adjusted cutoff and then validate that formula in two additional cohorts of patients. They used three previously collected databases to do this. The derivation cohort was actually derived from two cohorts in Switzerland and France, both including consecutive patients admitted to the emergency department with a clinical suspicion of PE. They had a total of 1,721 patients who underwent sequential testing, including plasma D-dimer measurements, Geneva score clinical probability assessment, and then some form of confirmatory study, either compression ultrasonography of the lower extremity veins, helical CT, or VQ scanning, or pulmonary angiography. And it's important to note here that not everybody who got a D-dimer ended up getting the confirmatory test. Obviously, patients with a negative D-dimer and a non-high clinical probability weren't going to go on to get a confirmatory test. That would be somewhat unethical. Problem is, that brings in the possibility of differential or partial verification bias. Not everyone gets the confirmatory test, so maybe someone with a negative D-dimer who didn't get a confirmatory test actually did have a PE. Using this derivation set, the authors found that if you increase the cutoff, by 10 nanograms per milliliter for every year over the age of 50. In other words, if you're 50 years old, your cutoff is 500. If you're 51, your cutoff is 510. If you're 60, it's 600, 70, 700, so forth and so on. By doing this, they were able to increase the specificity of the test without significantly decreasing the sensitivity. Now, it was actually more like 11.2 nanograms per milliliter increase, but they decided to round down for simplicity, which I think was probably a good idea. And they found that by doing this, in patients with an unlikely clinical probability or a non-high pretest probability based on the Geneva score, an age-adjusted cutoff resulted in a 17% increase in the number of patients with a negative D-dimer with a very low false negative rate of 0.2%, 95% confidence interval on that of 0 to 1%. So very few missed PEs if you use an age-adjusted D-dimer in patients without a high pretest clinical probability. They found pretty similar results in their two validation sets. In the first set, use of an age-adjusted cutoff resulted in an 11% increase in the number of patients with a negative D-dimer, with a small 0.4% increase in the number of patients with a missed PE, or a false negative rate. And in the second validation set, the use of an age-adjusted cutoff resulted in an 18% increase in the number of patients with a negative D-dimer, with a 0.3% increase in false negative rates. So that was a total of two missed PEs during follow-up. Now this was far from a perfect study. We talked a little bit about the risk of partial and differential verification bias, and we'll actually see that in all of the studies going forward. Also, the different cohorts that went into making this study used different algorithms to rule out PE, including pretest probability and confirmation testing. It's difficult to generalize the results based on that. In fact, some of the patients in some of these sets actually only got venous ultrasonography as the final confirmatory test to rule out a PE, which seems a little bit odd to me. Most importantly, though, this is an interesting article and a great starting point and probably needs to have its results further validated. Unfortunately, a lot of that's been done. One validation study was conducted here in the U.S. in the Kaiser Permanente Southern California Health System. 
This was threshold for emergency department patients with suspected pulmonary embolus accuracy and clinical implications from the Annals of Emergency Medicine in February of this year. So just came out, brand new stuff. This was a retrospective chart review using the Kaiser Permanente Southern California Medical Record System. Patients over 50 with suspected PE who presented between 2008 and 2013 and who received a D-dimer test were included. They actually looked at three different cutoffs for D-dimer. They looked at outcomes based on a cutoff of 1,000 nanograms per deciliter, a cutoff of 500 nanograms per deciliter, so the more standard D-dimer limit, and the age-adjusted cutoff using age times 10, as we talked about in the derivation and validation studies. The main outcome they were looking at was anyone who didn't have a diagnosis of PE or imaging study during the initial encounter, but who received a diagnosis of PE within 30 days of the encounter, i.e. our missed PE patients, or the false negative D-dimer patients. This study was large. They ended up with 31,094 patients identified. A total of 514 of those were determined to have an acute PE at the initial encounter, and 30,580 were found not to have a PE. I want to stop there and point something out. Out of 31,000 patients, just over 500 were found to have an acute PE. That's a 1.6% prevalence. If you're doing a D-dimer test in patients and your prevalence in patients that you're doing a D-dimer is, is 1.6%, you are over-testing. And I think that's the biggest limitation of this study, is that this was clearly a population with a very low, low prevalence of disease. If you believe the work of Klein and others, and I do, the test threshold for a D-dimer should be about 1.8%. In other words, if your pretest probability is less than that, then you probably don't need to do any testing at all. And yet these patients all got D-dimers. And the problem is with such a low prevalence, you're going to seriously deflate your risk of a missed PE. It's going to be pretty small because most of these patients were at very low risk of having a PE to begin with. So no matter what cutoff you used, unless it's super, super high, you're probably not going to have missed that many by using a higher cutoff for the D-dimer. So when they looked at likelihood ratios for the different cutoffs, for the cutoff of 500 nanograms per deciliter, they had a negative likelihood ratio of 0.04. For the 1,000 nanogram per deciliter cutoff, it's much higher at 0.21. For the one that we really care about, the age-adjusted cutoff, the negative likelihood ratio was 0.11 with a 95% confidence interval from 0.08 to 0.15. So that's a pretty good negative likelihood ratio. Obviously not as good as the 500 nanogram per deciliter cutoff, but still pretty darn good. Using the traditional cutoff of 500, there would have been 10 missed PEs, while using the age-adjusted cutoff, there would have been 36 missed PEs, so a pretty significant increase in the total number, but when you look at the miss rates, it was 0.06% for the traditional cutoff and about 0.2% using the age-adjusted cutoff. Now, a 0.2% miss rate doesn't sound like a whole lot, but again, we're talking about a very low-risk group of patients, so it's not surprising that the miss rate was so low. Again, this study suffered from the same partial and differential verification bias that all of these studies are going to have inherent in them, and you can't really fault them for that. Again, my biggest problem with it is the very low prevalence of disease in these patients, making it difficult to really draw any conclusions about your miss rate. But we can see that the negative likelihood ratio, which should not depend on the prevalence of disease, was pretty low. 
and seems to suggest that for a low or moderate pretest probability, you're going to end up with a pretty low post-test probability using an age-adjusted cutoff. Fortunately, this has been validated in multiple other studies, and there has been a systematic review and meta-analysis looking at all of those studies. This is called Diagnostic Accuracy of Conventional or Age-Adjusted D-Dimer Cutoff Values in Older Patients with Suspected Venous Thromboembolism, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. These authors did kind of a limited search using Embase and Medline. You would have liked to have seen them do a more robust search. Uh, they didn't look at the Cochrane Database, CINAHL, they didn't look at reference lists of selected articles, conference abstracts, or the gray literature. Or if they did do any of those things, they didn't mention it in their article. The other thing they did that was a little wonky was that they included studies that looked at patients being evaluated for both pulmonary embolism and deep venous thrombosis in the legs. And they kind of lumped them all together. It seems a little odd to me. Uh, clinically, they're obviously two very different diseases, and while D-dimer can be used to exclude both of them, the implications are very different. And so I'm not sure that lumping them together like that was such a great idea. They ended up with 13 different patient cohorts for a total of 22,608 patients. Of those, 12,630 had a non-high pretest clinical probability of disease. So that's the patient population that you would want to use D-dimer in. Of these, there were seven cohorts that concerned patients with suspected PE and six with suspected DVT. Some of the interesting things that they found when they pooled all of these patients was that the specificity of D-dimer in patients under age 50 was about 66.8%. This declined pretty rapidly as you increased your age. For each decade, in the decade 51 to 60, it was 57.6%. In the age 61 to 70, 39.4%. 71 to 80 years of age, it was 24.5%. And if you were over 80 years of age, D-dimer had a specificity of 14.7% for disease using the conventional cutoff. Now, using an age-adjusted cutoff, this attenuation was much improved. Less than 50, it was the same because the same cutoff would be used. But if you were over 80, it was up to 35.2%. So a pretty significant improvement in the specificity. There was a small drop in sensitivity, in the over 80 group, sensitivity was 99.6% using a conventional cutoff and 97% using an age-adjusted cutoff. So yes, there was a drop in the sensitivity, but it wasn't huge. In fact, it wasn't very big at all. Now, specifically for PE in patients over age 50 with a non-high pretest clinical probability, the pooled specificity of D-dimer increased from 34% with a conventional cutoff to 45.7% in an age-adjusted cutoff. So that's all patients over 50 just looking at PE. There was a small decrease in sensitivity from 99.2% down to 97.5%, so not a big decrease. The 95% confidence interval there was 94.7 to 98.8, so still a pretty sensitive test even using the age-adjusted cutoff. Now this corresponds to a positive likelihood ratio of 1.79 and a negative likelihood ratio of 0.05. Again, that's patients over 50 looking only at PE using an age-adjusted cutoff. Negative likelihood ratio 0.05, pretty darn good. That's going to rule out or decrease the probability of disease significantly if you have a negative test. And for patients without a high pretest clinical probability, it should be pretty adequate to rule out the disease. Now, not the perfect meta-analysis by any degree. They didn't do an extremely thorough search, so it's possible that some studies could have been missed 
Also, all of the included studies suffered from the partial and differential verification biases that we talked about earlier. Again, not surprising. It would be a little unethical to get a CT on everybody, even low-risk patients with a negative D-dimer. So the last study we're going to look at is really an impact analysis study. In this study, they look at what actually happens when you put this into practice. So they went beyond just looking at how good is the test, and they said, we're going to go ahead and use it, and we're going to see what happens. Now, this is age-adjusted D-dimer cutoff levels to rule out pulmonary embolism, the Adjust PE study published in JAMA in 2014. This was a prospective, multi-center, multinational study conducted at 19 hospitals in Belgium, France, the Netherlands, and Switzerland. They included consecutive patients presenting to the emergency department with a suspicion of PE, patients who were non-high risk based on either Geneva score or the Wells score underwent D-timer testing. All other patients, patients who were high risk, went straight to CT pulmonary angiography. Now, the D-dimer was interpreted using an age-adjusted cutoff, so 500 micrograms per liter in patients younger than 50 or age multiplied by 10 in those over 50. Patients with a D-dimer that was below their age-adjusted cutoff underwent no further testing. Patients with a value that was above the age-adjusted cutoff underwent CT pulmonary angiography. They followed these patients for three months after discharge and did a telephone interview using a structured questionnaire. Three independent experts who were blinded to all of the criteria used to rule out PE at inclusion then reviewed all these follow-ups and adjudicated for any patients who might have had a thromboembolic event. They also adjudicated any deaths to determine whether they were surely related, probably related, possibly related, or completely unrelated to PE. They enrolled 3,324 patients in the study, of whom 2,898, a whopping 87%, underwent D-dimer testing. The overall prevalence of PE in this study was 19%. As you can see, significantly higher than that 1.6% in the Kaiser Permanente study. Now, in their defense, in this study, they included patients who were high risk of disease in that 19% prevalence. That's obviously going to inflate the number a bit, and unfortunately, they don't tease out the data well enough that we can tell what percent of patients in the low to moderate risk group ended up having a PE. However, if we assume that everyone who was high risk ended up having a PE, then there were at least 205 low to moderate risk patients who ended up with a PE, meaning that the prevalence of disease in patients of low to moderate risk, the ones who got the D-dimer, was about 7%. So it was probably somewhere between 7 to 12% much higher than that 1.6% in the Kaiser Permanente study. So what they found was that the use of an age-adjusted cutoff resulted in an absolute increase in the proportion of negative D-dimer results of about 11.6%, and that's a 41.2% relative increase. So a lot more patients who had a D-dimer that was negative based on the age-adjusted criteria and therefore did not require further testing. Of 810 patients with a D-dimer less than 500 who had follow-up data, only one had an adjudicated venous thromboembolism. Now, of 331 patients with a D-dimer between 500 and the age-adjusted cutoff, there was one additional adjudicated thromboembolism for an overall failure rate of 0.3%, with a 95% confidence interval from 0.1 to 1.7%. So they were able to forego additional testing in a large number of patients with only one missed PE, and that's a very low failure rate. Now, among those 331 patients with a D-dimer above 500 and below the age-adjusted cutoff, there were seven deaths, but fortunately, none of those deaths was attributed to PE. Three were due to end-stage COPD, 
one was from refractory ITP, one was due to a metastatic melanoma, and one was due to terminal cachexia from a psychiatric illness, and finally one was due to hypovolemic shock after a massive hemorrhage associated with over-anticoagulation for AFib, ironically enough. So no deaths due to PE. Now this was actually a very well done study. I didn't have a lot of real limitations to it. It wasn't a randomized clinical trial, so there was no way to really control or make any comparisons. But it does seem to show that age-adjusted D-dimer is pretty safe. The biggest caveat I have for this study is where it was performed. There were 19 hospitals, but they were all in northern European countries. There may very well be some differences in medical comorbidities that would affect these outcomes. And just as importantly, there's the issue of follow-up. All of these patients had access to good follow-up. They have national healthcare systems in all of these countries. In the U.S., we don't have that. And I would wager that most of my patients can't get in to see a primary care doctor within a week of being seen in the ER. And I actually think that's one of the reasons why we're a little more prone to over-testing in this country. It's not necessarily that we're worried about getting sued. It's that we're worried that our patients aren't going to get any access to follow-up and aren't going to get the right test down the road if something changes. I think our consensus at our journal club was that this data looks pretty good overall. For the most part, these studies show that an age-adjusted D-dimer cutoff is pretty good at ruling out disease without having a high risk of having a bunch of false negative patients walking around with deadly PEs in their systems that were missing. One issue that came up was our cutoff at our institution, which is 230 rather than 250 or 500. So we'd have to figure out a way to make that age adjustment properly. Um, the math is going to be a little more complex, but shouldn't be impossible by any means. The other big thing that we noted was that to make a change like this, to start using a different cutoff, we all felt that you really needed institutional buy-in. It wasn't something we could just decide to do in the ER and ignore the desires and wishes and wants of the patient or of the clinicians on the floor. If you're admitting a patient to the hospitalist and you say, I got a D-dimer, it was negative by the age-adjusted cutoff, but it's still positive, they may want further testing. And you could sit and argue every time that comes up, but it might be better to have buy-in beforehand to come up with an agreement on how you're going to treat these cases. I think it's also going to help you if there's a lawsuit down the road to be able to say, well, this is our institutional policy. This is our standard of practice. I'm not just going rogue and practicing outside of standard of care. Having said that, I think if you get institutional buy-in and you come up with a way to age adjust your D-dimer to give appropriate cutoffs, I think this is something that is probably worthwhile. We'll prevent our patients from getting contrast loads and being exposed to radiation that they otherwise might not need. And with increasing healthcare costs in this country, anything we can do to cut back on costs without giving up a lot of safety is probably a good idea. So I'd be interested to hear what people are doing out there. Are you using age-adjusted cutoffs or are you not? Have you talked about it? Have you started the process of trying to get institutional buy-in? Or are you, as an individual practitioner, going rogue and doing this on your own based on the data that's out there? I don't think it's unreasonable to do so. I'm just not necessarily willing to put myself out there yet. So all in all, this was another great journal club we had and another great discussion. Our residents really had a lot to say on this topic, and I thought it was great to have everybody voicing their opinions. That's all we've got this time, so I hope to see you guys back next time. And in the meantime, check out our website, emjclub.com, like us on Facebook, where we're emjclub, and follow us on Twitter, where we are at emjclub. Hope to see you guys back next time. <laughs>